holidays, we're back with Legacies of Life, helping grieving families of organ donors. I'm Edwina Pigarza, a donor family aftercare coordinator. And I'm Adriana Almanza, the director of donor family aftercare services at Texas Organ Sharing Alliance in San Antonio. We are in December, which means it's time to talk about the realities of grieving during the holidays. Yeah, this feels like one of those times within the year that it can seem like our grief is closing in on us. Maybe the holidays were your loved one's favorite, or maybe the memories that you have tied to them during this season makes it feel like it's going to be too painful to even manage. So let's focus on finding ways to get through it, whether it's our first holiday or even our 10th without a loved one. And that can be from taking a break for alone time or doing activities specifically to remember someone that you miss. Today, our special guest is Cindy Waddle, a licensed professional counselor supervisor and registered play therapist who is currently the program supervisor at Children's Bereavement Center, Rio Grande Valley, which is the sole provider in Deep South Texas to provide grief support for children. Cindy, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit more about Children's Bereavement Center, Rio Grande Valley? Sure. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to join you all today. Um, Children's Bereavement Center, Rio Grande Valley, we provide um, bereavement services to children, adolescents, young adults, and their families uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. So we service all four counties, Cameron, Willisie, Hidalgo, and Star County. Um, and it's all without a financial barrier. So families are able to access the support without having to worry about how they can um you know, reach, reach their families. And Cindy, um, just to kind of get a little bit of background on how we got connected, TOSA and CBC, RGV. Um, so there's a location here in San Antonio as well, um, who they provide the same services. And so um, you all are listed on our bereavement packet that we send out to donor families. And it's a resource that our families utilize. Um, and so in reaching out, to get more information about your organization um, and, and just kind of seeing this, the resources you offer, um, we kind of built our relationship based off of, off of that. Um, and we've been working together ever since. I think it's been a few years, about five years, I think. Um, so we appreciate that uh, partnership with you. Um, and to start, uh, I know you, as Edwina mentioned, um, you are the program supervisor and a registered play therapist, um, but can you explain to us just um, what are some common emotional challenges that people face when grieving during the holiday season? Sure, yes. I think holidays in general are a little bit more difficult. Um, the winter holidays specifically, right, when as we're nearing the Thanksgiving and all of the winter holidays that happen in the month of December, um, these are times where we're filled around traditions and gatherings, um, times that we typically would gather around the table with all of our loved ones. Um, but they're, for many grievers, they're filled with empty reminders, right, such as the empty chair at the dinner table, um, the traditions yeah. that are left to be filled by others in the home. Maybe um, that special person was the one that carved the turkey or put the star on the tree. Um, and also just kind of that holiday cheer that a lot of people, um, it's expected, right? You know, cheer up, it's the holidays. And so there is this expectation to feel a certain way um, when grievers might not always be in that space. Yeah, it's the hardest time, right? That's what probably you hear from a lot of families. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And what about for kids? Is Do you think that it's different for kids or their parents when they're both suffering a loss? Do, or do you kind of see the same challenges and, and the themes, the, the things that they're dealing with? You know, um, I think it's helpful to remember that children and adults grieve differently. Mm-hmm. Um, the holidays do trigger more intense feelings, um, regardless whether it's a, a holiday or an anniversary or a birthday. These dates bring up um, former memories. And as I mentioned, um, empty reminders. Um, these are times that are meant to be shared with the people that we love the most, right? Um, and children do process their grief differently. So it's not going to look the same. Sometimes as an adult, we can sit and hold that space for bigger emotions for longer periods of time. So if we're having a hard day, we might be able to, to wallow in our sadness, to, to be in bed and not want to do anything. However, that doesn't look the same for children. They grieve intermittently. They grieve in small windows of time. Mm-hmm. And so they may show you that sadness for five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour. And then they go on being children, playing and laughing. And so sometimes for that, for adults, that can be very confusing because we're not sure whether the child understands um, or is grieving. Um, it doesn't mean that the child's not grieving. They just don't have the capacity to hold those big feelings for long periods of time. So you'll see them do that in little pockets of time. Right. To add to that, because I know you just gave a few examples of um, some, you know, things to some ways that we can identify how children are grieving. Um, Can you explain how grief can manifest differently in individuals? I know we talked a few episodes back how grief is not linear and really it's a process that's different for everyone. So it's not going to look the same for everyone, but what are some key signs that we can look for in both children and in adults? I think, especially here at TOSA, we talk so much about adult grief and we kind of overlook the kiddos. They seem so resilient. Um, so how can we recognize those signs and how can we help them just as much as we help our, um, adult clients? Yeah, I guess I'd like to uh, preface by saying that there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important to, to listen and to provide opportunities to, children to talk about their feelings. And sometimes that might just be pausing and asking, um, you know, how are you feeling about grandpa today? Um, As an example, right, just opening up those conversations, because again, they're not going to show you those big feelings the way they look. Um, They're not, it's not going to look the same as it does with adults. Mm -hmm. Um, But some things that you want to keep an eye out for, you know, you were asking about signs, um, is looking out for drastic changes. you know, is there something that has changed in how the child or even the adult, um, are they no longer participating in activities that they previously enjoyed? Um, you know, if they like to, to be in the high school band or ride their bike outside and they no longer want to do that, um, that sometimes is an indication that those big feelings are interfering with their daily functioning, that it's interfering with their routines, right? It is, um, 
absolutely normal and acceptable to feel sad or angry mm -hmm. or confused. But when those big feelings start to interfere with their relationships, with their school functioning, um, you know, with their behavior, then that's when maybe we want to, to look at a little deeper is what other needs may this child or this individual need. Um, sometimes we have individuals who repeatedly wish that um, they could join the deceased or we see a riskier, dangerous dangerous behavior. Those are definitely red flags that we want to keep an eye out yeah. um, and make sure that we're getting um, those individuals, children, the support that they need. For sure. And I think especially during the holidays, like that's kind of, a, you know, there's so much going on. It's easy to get lost in that and everyone's doing their own thing. So sometimes those, those signs are hard to miss or you have so many people who are, you know, we're visiting with a lot of family. There's a lot of family time and mm -hmm. we, you know, children and adults, we both don't know how we're supposed to be managing our grief. Should we, you know, I think this is also a lot, a time when a lot of people may say like, Hey, you know what? Life goes on. They're in a better place. Maybe it's time to move on. This is the time to do that. But if I'm in the holiday season and I'm not feeling in a holiday mood, I just lost someone or it's been a year or whatever it is. Should we just lean into it or should we kind of do a mix of both? What should, what would be a good way to manage our, the holidays and, all the people we're running into? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, many times we might find ourselves um, hiding, masking, mm -hmm. or avoiding these big feelings because sometimes they're a little too big for us to handle, right? However, it is healthy to feel and experience all our feelings. Right. Um, our avoiding our feelings keeps us from processing it. So I always, I always like to liken that idea to our bodies are like uh, a soda bottle, right? If you've ever seen um, a soda can that's been tossed around or shaken up, if you open it, it's going to explode. And that can be messy. Um, but we're not meant to build up, have all that built up pressure. And especially during the holidays, there is added stress. Um, even for non-grievers, the holidays can be a very <laughs> stressful time. Right. So if you think about the natural stressors that come with the holidays, and then you add the grief and all of the feelings and the changes and adjustments that they're, that a griever is going through, that's really quite a lot. Um, and the way that you if you had, you know, a, a bottle of soda, if you were to open it um, and slowly titrate, right, if you air out a little bit at a time, you don't have that big mess afterwards, because you're able to release some of that pressure little by little. So I think for many grievers, just knowing and giving themselves permission to to grieve, even if it's in small pockets, even if it's in small windows of time. Um, you know, we talked to clients here at the center about scheduling um, grieving time. And we talk about just dedicating maybe at the end of the night when the kids go to bed that we give ourselves, even if it's 15 minutes to grieve. Um, so that way we're releasing some of those really big feelings, um, little at the time, a little, a little at a time so that, um, we're, we don't have that buildup and just kind of recognizing that naturally the holidays are hard, even for non-grievers. And so just, um, being patient and compassionate with each other. And, um, but I, I do feel that it is helpful, um, to tend to our feelings so that they don't become unmanageable. 
Right. I love that. I love that. Don't be like the shaken up bottle of soda or something like that. That's really descriptive and a really good way to explain what mm-hmm. hold on to your grief would look like. Yeah, Absolutely. As you were talking about, um, you know, us trying to, to hold it in and then trying to hold space at the end of the night to be able to grieve. Um, I started thinking, you know, as parents, we really want to be strong for our children, right? And I think mm-hmm. prior to COVID, I mean, COVID's really um, normalized mental health uh, and really normalized grief for us. But prior to that, I think a lot of these topics were still some that we really wouldn't show, we really wouldn't talk about a lot. Um, and so with that came, you know, not crying in front of the kids, not showing emotion, really being strong for them. Um, so what advice do you have for parents that, you know, want to normalize grief for their kids, but are maybe struggling with juggling that, and especially during the holidays, when you said there's that added pressure of Christmas cheer, or, you know, the holiday season and, and family and togetherness, um, what advice do you have for those families? Thank you. I appreciate you asking that question. That is probably one of the first topics that I like to um, address with, with caregivers is you know, letting them know you do have permission to show these feelings. Um, Because a lot of times everyone's trying to be strong for everyone. And, you know, as a a play therapist and working with with young children, I see even our preschool children say, you know, I don't want to be sad because it it makes mommy sad. And so even the little ones are trying to be strong. Um, But really what we want to do, you said, normalize that experience to let them know that it is okay to show your feelings and express your feelings. Um, But sometimes um, as caregivers, even though it comes with good intention, we're offering um, contradictory information where we're saying it's okay to talk about it or it's okay to cry, but then they're not seeing any of the adults do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, so you're telling me it's okay to cry, but I'm not watching you cry. I'm not seeing you talk about your feelings. And so by um, giving yourself permission to do that as a caretaker, you're modeling to the child what is um, healthy grief and what does that look like? And so I always tell parents, you know, if you're driving in the car and you hear um, a song that's really, uh, you know, pulls at your heartstrings, that it is okay to say, mommy's a little bit sad. Um, This song reminded me of our loved one, um, but also reassuring that they're okay, right? Mommy's sad because I heard this song, but I'm okay. I can still take care of you. Um, And that really provides that reassurance to the child that even though you have these feelings that you're still capable capable of being there and caring for them. on the flip side, if you do have those big emotions, because we all do, right, mm-hmm. that um, that you also give yourself permission to do that privately. I, I have a lot of parents that say, well, I like to cry in the shower. And so if they ask, they can say, oh, mommy got shampoo in her eyes, right? Mm-hmm. That it's okay um, to also have those big feelings. And maybe there's a, a time and a place for that. But when, you're, when you have those moments that you address them um, so that children know it is okay, right? You're not just telling me, but you're showing me how we express our feelings. Right. Wow. And I guess that could also probably really help these children as they get older, if maybe they aren't having the same reaction as their parents are to the death of a loved one or a friend, maybe that they weren't as close to, but they're seeing what a healthy, you know, grief process looks like that if when it happens to them, if it happens as they're a child, that that should make it a little easier for them to figure out how to manage them themselves and how to show their grief. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, here at the center, we say um, that one of the strongest predictors in how a child will process their grief is how well the adults in their lives um, grieve. And so we definitely want to support the entire family so that everyone is healing together. Right. Wow, that's great. You mentioned play therapy. Can you explain a little bit what that is? Yes. Um, so play therapy young children um, may not have the language, um, the emotional vocabulary, or the life experiences to understand um, their loss or the changes that have happened um, at home. And so in play therapy, we utilize the toys. We say the toys are the children's words and play is their language. And so um, especially little ones, our preschool, our, our early um our younger children, they're concrete learners. They understand the world by the things we see, feel, and touch, right? And so sometimes um, articulating our big feelings or uh, confusing events that they have witnessed or experienced, it's hard to put into words, but they can show us through their play, through the toys and how um, they choose to process what they have experienced. So at CBC, um, what are the age ranges of the the um, population that you see? We work with children as young as three up to young adults to the age of 24 and the adult caretakers, again, because we believe that the children will do as well as the adults in their lives. So we want to provide support for the adults, but our primary clients are three to 24. And the reason behind that is that children grieve developmentally. So children are going to reprocess the the loss at each developmental stage. So if they experience um, a loss when they're three, um, as they get older, maybe they're five or six, they're going to understand the meaning of death in a very different way compared to a three-year-old. And so they're going to reprocess that. And then they're going to do that when they're um, older and adolescents and young adults. And so we continue to understand and process the death at each developmental stage, typically until about 24 when our brain stops developing. Um, And that's when an education piece that we share with parents, it, it doesn't mean that they'll need therapy or need to keep coming back to the center at each developmental stage, but just anticipating that some of these big um, big feelings will continue to resurface as the child is developing and growing. Mm-hmm. And so for the holiday season, we're recording this, you know, about a week before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. by the time this airs, we will be deep into the holiday season in December. What kind of tools or techniques, strategies do you give to parents and to the children that you serve there at CBC to help them prepare for the holiday season? I would like to start by suggesting um, just having open communication. Many times we have um, parents who will ask us, um, how should we handle the Christmas holiday, mm-hmm. for example? And sometimes we ask, you know, what what do your children think? Have you asked them? And a lot of the times parents will say, oh, I hadn't even thought of asking my children. Um, so I think that that's the very first step is just communicating with your family. What are your concerns? What are your worries? your fears about the upcoming holiday? What part of our former traditions do you want to keep? And which ones do we maybe want to take a little break from? Mm -hmm. And so I think having that um, conversation is so important. Um, I, I feel that children 
um, are very self-aware and they understand and can communicate those needs. Um, and then coming to a happy middle ground, right? We might not always be in agreement of how we want to celebrate um, or honor our special person, but doing something that feels right for everyone in the family. So I think communication is the first one. Um, secondly, I would say setting realistic expectations, just um, reminding yourself that the holidays are going to be different. Um, and to know that you don't have to do things in any specific way or order. There is no right or wrong way to, to do this, right? And so just knowing um, what you what your needs are and then planning for that. Um, I think not isolating. It, it sounds tempting to say, well, I'm just going to skip the holiday. Right, <laughs> you yeah. know, I'm just going to yeah. not do that. Um, and I think that it is okay to avoid um, some circumstances that maybe we're not ready to handle, but definitely we don't want to isolate. Um, there's a time for uh, creating space for solitude, remembering, grieving, um, but also balancing that with social activities and engaging with friends or family so that you can experience those feelings and know that it is okay to grieve and also experience the joy of the holidays. And it doesn't have to be one or the other, but they can coexist as well. I like that. Um, I do have a question regarding last um, episode we had, we talked about ways to honor your loved one during Dia de los Muertos. Um, mm -hmm. And so what are some ways that you typically suggest to your clients and to your families um, some things that they should do during the holidays to honor their loved one who passed. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess it depends on each family's beliefs and which holiday they celebrate. Mm -hmm. um, one that has been really helpful for some families is creating either um, a memory box or a um, a remembrance stocking um, in honor of the loved one. So um, I've suggested to some families to have uh, just little slips of paper or a post-it note um, near a stocking. And whenever they remember uh, a, a funny story or a special memory that they shared with that person, that they can drop them into that stocking or that memory box. And so come Christmas day, for example, if the family celebrates Christmas, that they can open those together. And so everyone has contributed. And so those are gifts that keep on giving, right? That we remember um, all of the special and funny and memorable um, parts of our special people, um, that they continue to be remembered and be a part of this celebration. Um, and now it's just in a different way, right? And so that's something that can be started um, as early as uh, you know the beginning of December and that they can continue to add and they can grow leading up until that holiday um, is one that has that we've received really positive feedback from families. Um, sometimes it could be just something as simple as lighting a candle, um, maybe putting a, a bouquet of, a floor, of flowers, maybe their favorite color, their favorite flowers at the dinner table. Um, for some families that might be making their favorite food. Mm -hmm. um, we've had <clears throat> 
some families where they have a, a dedicated uh, tree and everyone brings in an ornament that represents a memory or part of their loved one. And so um, this, this tree can be decorated with all of the memories, whether that's cousins or families or friends, it can come and add to that and um, share stories about their memories as well. That's really neat. I think especially the stockings, because that's something that you could probably obviously keep can you have, a, have, a, have as a keepsake, you know, maybe put it into a book and something to turn back to at any time of year. It doesn't matter if it's the holidays or their birthday or anything like that. That's a really great suggestion. I like that one a lot. When it comes to, I know we're talking a lot about us as grievers, but what about our family members who, you know, we, we know someone is grieving and we are trying to figure out how do I support them? Like what, is there something that I should do or I shouldn't do? I know this podcast is mostly for the grievers, but there are people who do want to support as best as we can, the people in our family and our community who are suffering right now. And we know this is a very difficult time. How can we best support them? Um, I think an important one is not to be afraid to mention the person that died. Mm -hmm. Um, Non-grievers sometimes feel nervous or anxious about uh, talking about the deceased, right? It Sometimes it comes out of fear that they're going to make the other person sad or they're going to make them cry. Um, but I think a message that that comes loud and clear to me from a lot from the grievers that we work with is that they want to talk. They want to know that other people remember their loved ones and that those memories um, continue to be um, remembered and honored by others, not just them, right? And so just helping the grievers know that they they remember them that they can um, talk about them can be really helpful especially with young children sometimes um, some children didn't have as much time with the person that died and so they don't have as many memories or um, little ones sometimes tell us well I feel like I'm forgetting daddy and so when you have other people in the family other people in the home that are saying you know oh your dad loved this and his favorite song was this and this was his favorite movie it builds those connections but also reminds the grievers that their loved one is not forgotten and that there are other people who remember them. I think that that goes a really long way and can be very touching um, for the griever. I think also just being an active listener, listening to the griever's needs. Um, I think a common one, a common phrase or statement that a lot of grievers get is, um, let me know if you need anything, right? We leave it as an open-ended question, but a lot of times the griever doesn't know what they need or they don't know how to ask for that help. And so just listening to the griever's needs and, and stepping up and offering that help to say, um, you know, I noticed you're struggling with after school pickup. I'd be happy to help you pick up your little one. Or I will come by later this week and help you with laundry. And so just being able to anticipate the needs of the griever um, and, and reach out for that help. Because, you know, I'm sure we've all been asked at some point, right, let me know how I can help. And then no one comes and helps. <laughs> and so just being really attentive of what is it that they need and how can we, how can I help fill the need? Um, I don't know. There's so many, there's so many do's right. and don'ts. Yeah. Um, 
I think the big don't is uh, avoiding those at least statements, you know, at least they're not suffering or at least she's in a better place. Um, they come with good intentions, but often are more hurtful than not. Um, and so just recognizing if you catch yourself starting a phrase with at least, maybe you can stop there <laughs> and think about what is something that is more helpful, right? Instead of, um, I think that those statements, although well-intended, they try to put a positive spin in the situation when in reality, the griever is hurting and we don't always need um, a positive take. We just need somebody to sit there and validate our feelings and our current experiences um, and that I think can go a long way for the griever. The only question that I I don't have on this list but it's something that I am curious about just in general not even about holiday grief but just grief in general what would you say or is there something that you can pinpoint that has been the most valuable thing that you have learned in working with grievers What's the most valuable thing that you think is maybe the most helpful that we can learn from? Yeah, I think that um, for me personally, I have been doing this work for seven years now, and it has been such an honor to be a part of this journey. This is um, one of the hardest things that our families will face. And um I recognize the honor that it is to, to walk alongside our families. Um, sometimes we have volunteers and interns um, who help us in our mission. And, and one of their biggest fears and anxieties is what if I say something wrong? What if I make the situation worse mm -hmm. than better, right? And I think even just um, speaking about a friend or a family member. I don't know, I don't know how to be around a griever. And one thing that I always tell them is that when you come in with good intentions and that you are able to hold space, that means so much, even if it's sitting in silence, um, just to know that there is somebody there who's willing to be there for you um, really means the world to a lot of grievers. And so I guess this is more for, for the helpers out there, right? To know um, and encourage you not to be scared that um, lean in on that and know that um, there is tremendous comfort that comes in being part of that Um healing process for for grievers um yeah. that's interesting because we spoke with a donor family um for one of our previous episodes and she had mentioned that one of the most valuable things that she had experienced throughout this whole process was someone knocking on their door and saying i don't know what to say to you but i just want you to know that i'm here and i can just be here with you and for her that was so great and so even while this whole episode is focusing on how we as grievers can manage the holidays because it's going to be the most difficult time for us especially if it's our first time um, celebrating the holidays without our loved ones, we're really recognizing how important it is the community around us is and how we will benefit from them supporting us, giving us space to talk about our loved one and, you know, reminding us, you know, when you um, want someone to sit with you, I'm here to sit with you. If you want to celebrate and talk about your loved one, we can do that. We can do something special, light a candle for them. Um, so it's just not about us and our families, but everyone in our community as well. Absolutely. You got that just right. I think it goes a really long way. And I think if there's any takeaways for our grievers is just 
um, reminding yourself about self-compassion, mm-hmm. right? If you need to write it on a note and glue it to your monitor or, you know, stick it to the dashboard of your vehicle, um, compassion, that there is no right or wrong way. Um, you're doing it your way. And um, I, I think that a lot of times we get so many messages from well-meaning um, individuals in our lives who uh, may suggest how we should grieve or how we should or shouldn't feel. Um, But at the end of the day, it's your journey as the griever and honoring your journey is so important to your process of growing and healing. Um, And just knowing that, you know, the compassion that you provide yourself um, is really so essential to that healing process that we're not harsh or hard on ourselves um, for how we respond to our grief, that all of the reactions that we have to our loss are also a big um, testament to the amount of love that we had for our special person, right? And so the more love we have, the bigger that grief looks. And so um, just knowing that this is also love it looks and it it looks and feels very different but grief is also another way that we love the people that are in our that are were in our lives yeah I like that that's beautiful yeah. and and if I can add one thing if nothing else because I do recognize the holidays are hard even just taking care of our like physical needs right mm-hmm. um, making sure that we're getting um, adequate sleep and that we're eating well. Um, sometimes that's as much as we can do for ourselves. And that's okay too, to know that, yes, we have these really big feelings and there's a lot that's happening. Um, but in order for me to be okay, I also need to take care of myself. And so self-care right. is going to be so important in this process because um, for a lot of your donor families, there that is an extra layer mm-hmm. um, to their grief, right? It's not just the holiday and the grieving but also the aspect that comes with with being a donor family so for those who are interested in obtaining more information about the children's bereavement center of the rio grande valley uh, you can visit their website again that's cbc-rgb.org I'm really excited about this month's legacy letter. It is written by a family of a heart recipient. Their mom, Debbie, passed away recently, but her daughters got together as a family to write a special message to the donor's family. All four sisters joined us in our recording, but Candy read the letter on their behalf. Here is their letter. To the greatest gift giver ever, this letter probably comes after many years of silence. But we girls wanted to reach out and thank you ourselves. Now that we're older and we have our own children reaching the age of your son, when you had to make one of the hardest decisions of your life. Our mom, Debbie, was one of the most amazing women we have ever known. Received your son's heart on March 31st, 1997. That date has been a day that we have marked on our hearts and continues to be to this day. And we want you to know that there's usually not a day that passes, especially around March and Easter, each year that so many prayers are sent to you and your family. The purpose of this letter is something that we girls have had in our own hearts for a few years, but never knew the words to actually say. And as we come together to write, we still don't know that we'll have the right words, but we will do our best. Because of your priceless gift in 1997, 
our mom was able to be a part of and see so many things. All four of her daughters graduate high school and college. All four of her daughters get married and have families of their own. All nine of her grandchildren being brought into this world. Watch five of her grandchildren be baptized, several trips to ballparks, football fields, and stages to witness the grandkids play ball, cheer, and perform on the stage in theater, choir, or band. Celebrate her husband turning 70 and so much more. The holidays were always filled with smiles, laughter, family traditions, and love. Our mom was an absolute trooper because the health journey that she was on did not stop after the transplant. There were other complications that came about due to the many medications over the years, but never once did she ever complain. We had a decent scare in 2012 where she was in the ICU and rehab for several months due to pneumonia. But to say that she was a fighter would be an absolute understatement. To be honest, when mom was put on the heart transplant list, we were told that the time that typical patients lived post-surgery was seven to eight years, but there was no way that she was gonna let that be the standard. She lived every single day to the fullest. Never was there a day that she, that she didn't talk to one of us on the phone. We're all scattered around the great state of Texas. She would have Nana camp every summer where the grandkids would spend a week at their house. Yep, all nine of them were there for the last few years. However, on February 23rd, 2020, she was called home to live in the arms of Jesus. Every single day since that has been hard, but each day we think of her. We remember the fact that God allowed us an additional nearly 23 years because of your selfless gift. At the time, she was also named the longest living heart recipient in Texas. But one of the greatest things that we've been able to process over the last nearly three years is that embrace that had to have happened in heaven the evening that she arrived. We know that she had an amazing welcoming committee along with your son because he became family when his heart took that first beat inside of her body. As you know, the grieving process is difficult and different for everyone but we would all love the opportunity to keep communication open between our families with a potential to meet in person if desired. We understand that receiving this news of mom's passing may reopen some of the grief and wounds, but we wanted to make sure that you knew that your decision and the strength of your son truly did give our families so much love and so many celebrations for more years than we ever dreamed that we would get. We are who we are because of the gift you gave. Our children are who they are because of the gift you gave. So thank you for following that tug that God gave you through what we believe was one of your hardest days. We can't ever repay you for what you have given, but wanted to make sure that you knew that we are so blessed because of you. In him, Debbie's four daughters, Christy, him, Harry, and Candy. Yes, kind of a weird question, but did your son love peanut butter by chance? Mom really hated it until the transplant and it's just a crazy thing we've always wondered about. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Tosa and the Aftercare team, we wish you happy holidays. We'll talk to you again in 2024. Bye. Bye.
This has been Legacies of Life brought to you by the Donor Family Aftercare Department at Texas Oregon Sharing Alliance. The greatest gift of all is the gift of life. Visit us at tosa1.org to sign up as a donor or to get more information. You can also find bereavement tools and resources. Again, our website is tosa1.org.